Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are holy. I thank you for wonderful music like that that just lets us worship and, and celebrate your name. Lord, I pray that your name will speak loudly today, that we'll be amazed at the, at the presence of you, and that we will hold on to you tightly. Lord, I pray that you would just work in all of us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our last sermon in our God Is series. And this week while I was trying to think about this sermon, I was wondering what is the the point of going through a sermon on God's names. Now I understand application is important. That's extremely important. But a sermon, preaching, is proclaiming God. And we should always leave this place in absolute amazement at the God that we worship. I've said it often up here. I can give you information. I can tell you about the knowledge of the Bible, but I believe it is pointless unless it does something in our heart. I can stand up here. I can tell you about the history. I can break down Greek and Hebrew words, but it seems like nothing if it doesn't do something in here. Often it feels like as a pastor we preach and and maybe a few of you listen. I wanted to say that that's why pastors get so burned out, but my friend Jackson called me this morning and he said, if one person listens, then it's worth it. He changed my perspective. See, I preached my heart out on Tuesday down at CV in Laramie about anxiety. And when I was done, I wondered if anybody even heard me. If it even did anything in their hearts. It felt like we're just there to check off a box. It makes us feel better to know that we heard a sermon. It doesn't actually move in us. It doesn't drive us closer to the God that we worship. So that's my hope today. As we finish with this God Is series, that it draws you closer to the Creator of everything and that same Creator who wraps you in His arms. I heard the other day about a person that was running for our school board that didn't want the LGBTQ kids in our school, and it broke my heart. I was driving to Laramie on Tuesday, and all I heard on Christian talk radio was politics, about us standing up to the world, about separating from the world. I didn't hear the Gospel. I hear it all the time about people blending politics and their Christianity. I can tell you that Jesus was not a Republican and He was not a Democrat. He was a monarch and He was perfect. And He is our King. And the only way that we ever change anybody in this world is the name of Jesus Christ. We do not need to hide it. We do not need to cover it up. We do not need to worry about the world. We do not need to worry about the influence that it has on us because we have Jesus I often look and I'm like, when are we going to start understanding that there is no religion, that there is no ideology, that there is no government, that there is no unbelieving person that has what we have and there is this unconditional love 
from Jesus Christ. And the world longs for a relationship, and Jesus is the only perfect relationship. Let me explain. You see, when I was trying to figure out a sermon on the name El Olam and Yahweh Tazbat, I came across some scripture that we should all know. It's from Isaiah. So I ask you, turn with me to Isaiah 40. If you got your phone Bible, turn there. If you got a hard Bible, more better, turn there for me. I want you to follow along today as I work through this text in Isaiah 40. We're going to first start with Isaiah 40, starting at verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You read that text, and I don't even know why I have to exposit it. I mean, as you read that text, it should do something inside of you. It should give you this confidence. It should give you strength. It should drive something inside of you as you bring the love of God to anyone who will listen to this world that we live in. As I was writing the sermon on anxiety, I started to realize that we're always trying to solve things instead of just playing our role and trusting that God has the solving covered. I look out at this world and, and I hate abortion and I don't want it to be legal, but do we really expect our government to fix things? We cannot legislate morality. We cannot legislate salvation. I plead with this. How about we read Isaiah 40 to somebody that will listen and let Isaiah 40 change the hearts of the very people that God loves and that we should love. You see, the world that we live in is looking for something. I heard an interview the other day from a rapper named Drake. He sings the song, One Dance. Okay, I, mean, I know that means nothing to you guys. He's a secular rapper. That, that should say enough. And in this interview, he talks about sleeping with a different woman every night. And we as Christians would react, I can't believe he did that. But then at the end, you hear him proclaim that he was searching for something. And that he realized 15 to 20 seconds after it was over that he was more alone and that he was more lost than before. Guys, this world that we live in, every one of us is chasing something. We are chasing a fulfillment. We are all empty without God. God made us that way so that we would search for him. We found him, but not everybody has. You see, the world, they tend to fill it with worldly pleasures that will not satisfy. But have you ever felt that way about Jesus? 
Never. Jesus is the only thing in this world that always satisfies. He does not leave you weary and He will not leave you faint. And as I started to read Isaiah 40, I started to realize that Isaiah has changed his tone. It is no longer about despair and death. It is about life and salvation. Now to be fair, some of the commentaries were saying that also, so it's not just me. But Isaiah 39 is all about this invasion of Babylon, which is going to happen about 100 years after this prophecy. It happens in the year 597 to 586 B.C. as they take over Israel first and then Judah. But then we see this promise. The same promise that has been repeated throughout Scripture, even as far back as Genesis 3. You have sinned, but God provides The world is a bunch of sinners. We were a bunch of sinners. And yet God provided. God, He provides a way. He provides a place. He provides relationship, righteousness, sanctification. He heals. He shepherds because He is the Almighty. He is the Lord of hosts and He is the everlasting. Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like Him, says the Holy One. God is the Holy One. There is one solution in this world. And if we're going to understand what he's talking about, we need to go back to chapter 40, verse 1. Listen to these words. Isaiah is writing them. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now we think of comfort as a cup of coffee in a good Hallmark movie. At least that's what my mom would say. But God, He looks at comfort as salvation from death and despair from our sin. God here, He is talking to Isaiah and He's just got done describing Israel from chapters 1 to chapter 39. Listen to just chapter 1. He calls them a rebel, verse 2. Sinful and corrupt, verse 4. They despise the Lord, verse 5. People of Gomorrah, verse 10. He tells them that He will not look on them nor listen to them, verse 14 and 15. He goes on to call Israel a whore and a murderer in verse 21. And I have to stop there. That's only chapter 1. There is 39 verses of this. Or chapters. 39. Now thankfully, God's grace is sprinkled through it. But when we get to 40, we start to see the solution and the Messiah is the solution. Jesus is the ultimate solution from sin and death in this world. This world will always be the world. Until Jesus returns, this world will always be evil and there will always be bad. And we tend to think like we're in the worst time in history, but the world has always been like this. I mean, if we just look at the Bible, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you want to live there? I mean, it wasn't a good place, and yet God would have spared it. If there was one righteous person, why should we not care about others that need to be spared? And then we have Nineveh. I mean, that is a treacherous city. And yet God spares them and saves all of them. We haven't even talked about the temple prostitution and the children that were sacrificed to the god Molech. They were even sacrificed by the king Manasseh. And yet, in 2 Chronicles 33, he repents and God accepts his repentance. 
That's just the Bible. What about the Romans who cheered as blood was shed in the Colosseum? But I could make the argument that Jesus conquered Rome in 313 A.D. as Constantine declared Rome a Christian nation. And we haven't even gotten to the 20th century yet. The bloodiest in history. Guys, I'm not saying that the world is not bad. I'm saying that the world has always been bad. And the answer has always been the gospel. The answer has always been this love of Jesus Christ. We have Jesus And I plead with us to go on the offense. You see, sin has always brought about evil. But we've always had Jesus. Edmund Burke said this, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is for good men to do nothing. Is that us? Are we going to do nothing? Are we going to hide the gospel? Are we going to put it on a lamp? Are we going to show it for all to display? And not so much to condemn the world, but to love them, to come after them, to allow God to save them. You see, we have unconditional love, and we see that in the tenderness in chapter 40, verse 2. It says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, and that her iniquity is pardoned. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Babylon captivity is what Isaiah is referring to here. But that's the the near prophecy. You see, then it expands. It goes further than that. It's not just Israel, but the world. Every person in this world should have an opportunity to understand Elohim, the creator of the universe. The one who sent His Son to pardon us in the first two verses. We see this this power of Elohim, the God, the Creator of everything. And then this relationship with Yahweh as He shows us His grace with His hand. Jesus' death is sufficient for not only double our sins, but infinite our sins. There is no sin that cannot be redeemed, no person that cannot be saved. Jesus is enough and He will always be enough. He does not leave those who forsake Him, and why should we? I want you today to understand how amazing our God is. Think about how amazing our God is as we start to unfold this prophecy seen in the book of Isaiah. Verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now this should look familiar. This prophecy would be fulfilled when the people would be released from Babylon. It was fulfilled before Jesus came in the person of John the Baptist. And it will be completed when Christ returns. This is called telescoping prophecy. Think of it like a looking glass. There's one end that is small. The close prophecy is revealed and then it goes on. And that's fairly small, but as it gets bigger, it becomes more and more clear. More and more clear about Jesus. And we see the power of Jesus in the next verse. Verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough place a plain. What do they do when they build an interstate? Kind of like the one in Colorado on I-25 that's never ending. They straighten it out. They cut down mountains. They fill in plains. They make it this path. And Jesus is the straight path. And we learn through this series that Yahweh Tiskenu, 
the Lord our righteousness. He made us right before God. He put us on this path of God, this Yahweh Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies you, the one who makes you holy, who does not just save you, but directs you down this path of sanctification as you grow and mature to be more like Him. You see, there is one person who could accomplish all of this. This Bible is ultimately about one person. It is His biography, and that is Jesus Christ. And we are so blessed to be at the end of the looking glass, looking down it with the written Word and the Holy Spirit inside of us to be able to see what God is trying to tell us. As we work through Isaiah 40, I I noticed a a verse, verse 8. When I was in college at Grace University to be a pastor, I walked by this stone out in front of one of the classrooms over and over again. And it said this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Man, not only do we have the truth, but we have a book that explains it to us. And I feel like we hide it often instead of proclaiming it. I feel like the church often uses to condemn others instead of to help them be saved. Every one of us knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But we often forget about 3.17. You see, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that it might be saved through Him. You see, the world is already condemned. It does not need us to condemn it also. It needs the saving qualities of the God that we worship. Isaiah 40, verse 9-11 through tells us to proclaim Him over and over again. It says, El Shaddai, the Almighty One, rules. He rewards and He delivers recompense. And He doesn't stop there. Yahweh Raha, the Shepherd, Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Do you struggle with anxiety, addiction, anger, PTSD? Maybe you're just a bad parent. Maybe you're just a bad husband. Maybe you're just a bad person. Maybe you struggle with your sexual identity. Maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with just not knowing if you're loved or not. Guess what? Jesus sat with sinners. And Jesus would sit with every one of you. Jesus loves you. And He loves all. He even sat with the so-called religious and accepted them when He called on them. Nicodemus. Jesus turns away no one that seeks Him. And in that, the Creator of the universe wraps His arms around you and He gently leads you. Maybe our perspective is off. Maybe instead of seeing the struggles, we see the God who is leading us. Do you think that would make a difference? Do you think that would make a difference if we brought that to the world instead of condemnation? I do. Elohim created everything. He measured the water, marked off the heavens, created dirt out of nothing, and formed it like the clay into mountains and hills. Verse 12. Follow along with me. 
He provided the Spirit that counsels us. Do you think He needs our input? Verse 13. We can release that type of burden. We don't have to carry it. We cannot teach God. He is perfect in understanding, perfect in justice, perfect in knowledge. He holds the nations in His very hands. He is the El Shaddai. He is the Almighty. His power is infinite. He created a universe that is 93 billion light years wide with stars 100 times the size of the sun. Do you think all the wood in Lebanon really matters? He is so great. You see, Russia is nothing. China is nothing. North Korea is nothing. Iran is nothing. But their people? Their people are everything. And they need to know about this saving grace. I often wonder as Christians, why do we fear? Why do we get nervous? We worship a God that cannot be compared to. You see, we cannot build anything like Him. Our advanced technology, our phones, computers, cars, tanks, nuclear weapons, they are nothing compared to our God. The earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. The leaders would not be leaders unless God allowed them to. Their plants would not have a chance unless God decided to allow them grow. He is in control. I heard the other day that our sun produces enough energy in one second to provide all the energy for the United States for 13 billion years. And yet our God spoke it into existence. Verse 25, listen to the Holy One because He is talking. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Tazbat. He calls all His hosts. The host here is describing the stars in the sky as part of God's army. Other places in Scripture, it describes Him as the Lord of armies or the Lord of angel armies. He is the Lord of all. Acts 10.36, As for the Lord that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is the Lord of all. Do you ever just feel so blessed to be on God's team? I mean, He's the Lord of all. Whether we are on His side or not, I am just so thankful that I'm on His side. I mean, what is there to fear when you have Jesus? But there is everything to fear when we do not. I mean, listen to the God we worship in the words of Chris Tomlin, in whom shall I fear? You hear me when I call. You are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield through troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies, he is always by my side. My strength is in your name, for you alone can save. You will deliver me. Yours is the victory. 
Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful. And yet we struggle to believe. And yet we struggle. And you're not alone. Isaiah anticipated your struggles. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Why do you say, O church, why do we feel like we are hidden and disregarded by God? You see, God is with us. He does not disregard us. And we can take on anything because He is the commander of the armies and the church is His army also. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. The Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. El Olam. The everlasting God. He does not need to take a nap. He does not get tired. He does not grow weak or feeble. He is greater than we can ever imagine. And yet, it seems like we hold on to the things of this world instead of the God who is. If you haven't noticed, I'm preaching to myself today. You see, we hold on to possessions, politics, and power instead of the God who created everything. He is everlasting, lasting forever, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning that had no beginning and the end that has no end. Yet I hold on to two trucks, a Yukon, a camper, a boat, a Yamaha, 15 bikes, four properties, and none of these serve any purpose in the kingdom of God, and all of it will not last. It's lucky I didn't preach this sermon on Thursday. It would have been a lot different. I have to wonder as I look back on my life, am I even saved? Sometimes I think I'm going to hell. But then on Friday morning, they reminded me that in the very next breath, that there is freedom. That there is freedom and that there is healing. And even my sin was atoned for by Jesus Christ on the cross. All of our sin was atoned for by Jesus Christ. And He is enough for my faults and He is enough for your faults and He is enough for everything. And I can hold on to the healer. You see, when I am faint, I can thank the God, Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. Verse 25, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. His power, His healing is for everyone. And when I have nowhere else to turn, in those moments when I am down, there is God. And there is Jesus. And even when you are a youth and you think you are 10 foot tall and bulletproof, you still need God because everyone in this world needs God. They need Jesus Christ. They need the message of the Gospel. They need it. It is the only thing that ever satisfies. Verse 30. Even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. Maybe if we saw the world as somebody who just needs Jesus, it would change our perspective. And I'm not talking about being tolerant or, or sugarcoating the truth. I'm talking about recognizing our own sinfulness and using it to help people see their need for Jesus. That's why our next series is going to be on truth as we 
discover how God uses John to talk about it. You see, ultimately, life with Jesus is greater than without it. Now, it may not be easier. There may not be more earthly blessings. But my guess is there's not a single person in this room that would trade in their relationship with Jesus. The other day I was sitting in the jail and I was wondering, is there anything that I would give back from my life with Jesus to take back my life before Him? And there was not one thing, except for maybe driving really fast. I kind of like that. You see, a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, this unconditional love is absolutely everything and nothing else really matters. Verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is this how we live? Do we live on the offense? Do we live like we have wings, like eagles, like we will not grow weary, like we will not grow faint? Because I have to be honest, it often feels like the opposite, at least in my life. Do we live like we have Jesus, like we have the everything, or do we live like we're afraid of the influences of this world? Our love for Jesus should come out in every aspect of our life. And it should be way more appealing than the fake life that this world has to offer. Is your faith active? Is your faith real? Is your faith based in the God? Is your faith based in the Jesus Christ who died on the cross for all our sins so that we could be redeemed? You see, God, He provides a way. He provides a place. He provides relationship, righteousness, sanctification. He heals He is the shepherd. He is the almighty. He is the Lord of hosts. And he is the everlasting. And the world provides none of that. I want us to understand that God is the prize, not everything he gives us. And we are so blessed because of it. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. My strength is in your name, for you alone can save. You will deliver me. Yours is the victory. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And nothing formed against me shall stand. The whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the creator of everything. I thank you that you are the healer. That you are the redeemer. That you are the shepherd. I thank you that even though you created sons that are a hundred times the size of ours, Your son is infinitely more powerful. And that he died on the cross to redeem us. And that we can hold on to that. And that news, that good news can be shared with anyone. And I pray that that would drive something inside of us. And that we would focus on you and not the things of this world. Lord, I pray that you would change hearts, that you would change lives. And that you would use the people in this church to do so. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.